So as we wrap up our series on the biblical book of Colossians, this is what we've been able to experience. Okay, we've had a front row seat as Paul, this former hitman turned follower of Jesus, has been writing a letter to this young church in Colossae. And we found out at the beginning of the series that Bellingham and Colossae were a lot alike, so we had a lot to learn together. We've covered a lot of ground. We talked about the amazing work that Jesus did on the cross as he took our sin on his perfect life and paid a debt that we couldn't pay for ourselves. We saw the supremacy of Christ and how Jesus holds all things together. We learned that Christ is all and in all. We've learned that legalistic religion is just another form of bondage that Jesus wants us to set us free from so that we can be in a relationship with him. We learned along the way, especially at Easter, that we're all dead to sin, but that Jesus came so that we could be made alive in him. Last week we learned about how a healthy vertical relationship contributes to healthy horizontal human relationships. And we've learned that Paul wanted the Colossian believers to live a life that was reflected in this one tiny little phrase. We've been saying it over and over and over and over and over again. The dream is always Jesus plus nothing. And for those of you that needed completion with that because it's an equation that doesn't have an end to it, we, we finished it for you. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Because Jesus is everything. We don't need to add anything to him. And the problem is so many of us, we take the Jesus plus, we try to stick something temporal in there, and we find out that all it does is distract us. And Paul, as as the pastor, says to the Colossian church, just leave it at Jesus plus nothing. That will be everything for you. So as we get ready to wrap up the series, here's some final thoughts from Colossians chapter 4. You know, I've noticed this. Sometimes people always save the very best for last. In fact, as a pastor over the last 25 years or so, I've sat by a lot of bedsides where people were getting ready to transition from this life into the next life. And and really, in those final moments, what they say, what comes out of their mouth, that's the real stuff. It's so real. It's so transparent. It's so authentic. And Paul has no idea whether he's ever going to get to see these Colossian believers. He just really doesn't know how this is going to end because he's in prison at the time. And so as he signs off, you can hear it in his words. You can hear his love and his priority and his compassion and his intense desire to see this spiritual family. So as we wrap up, this is so much more than a see you later or bye-bye or I'm out. I mean, it's nothing like that at all. This is what Paul really wants to say to us tonight. And it starts with Paul's prayerful direction. Colossians 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Paul goes, okay, before I go, a couple of things. Devote yourself to prayer, be watchful and thankful. So this past Easter was was my 10th anniversary here at Christ the King as the teaching pastor. And I had this flashback moment to the very first time I stood in front of Christ the King Church on that Easter 10 years ago, and I remember what came out of my mouth. I said two things. I said, you think you're scared? And my second sentence was, you better pray. You better pray. And Paul's saying right there, this is the simple application. Prayer is to be persistent and protective and filled with gratitude. Paul's saying, you guys got to pray. Keep praying. Stick with it. Keep asking. Press in. Tell God the desires of your heart. Be open and honest. If you're frustrated, tell God you're frustrated. If you're joyful, tell Him that you're joyful. I mean, this is what I learned. God has big shoulders. We don't rattle Him. We don't shock Him when we say, I'm struggling right now, God. In fact, this is the one thing that I love about praying. This one thing I know. Whatever comes out of my mouth, Paul will, or God will never ever respond with these words. Wow, I did not see that coming. 
Never, ever. Paul says it's spiritually healthy for you to talk to God and to listen to God. And that's the simplest definition of prayer that I can give you. It's talking and listening. Can we be honest? We do more talking than we do listening, do we not? Paul says time to balance that scale. Then Paul says be watchful. Watch for answers. And don't get discouraged if the answers come slowly. That's all right. We've been learning this all the way since January. Just because God is silent does not mean He is absent. He says, be thankful. Be thankful. Celebrate the answers. I've got this prayer journal. My favorite part of my prayer journal is being able to flip back through the pages and look for the red lines through the answered prayers. Where God answered this thing and that thing. Some of them, I just, I just got to put a red line through a prayer request last week that I've been praying on for 12 years. And God just said, now's the time. And I got to celebrate that. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful, thankful. Then Paul actually makes a prayer request. Verse 3. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Okay, let me remind you. Paul's writing this from prison. Okay, he's actually shackled to a wall and he takes this opportunity to make this request. I love the fact his prayer request is not, pray that I get out of here. That's not his prayer request. His prayer request is for boldness. He says, pray for passion for me. Pray that I'll not back down, not back up, not let up. Pray that I'll be more bold than ever. And this is what we learned from Paul in that moment. Prayer is supposed to be personal. This was about where he was really at, and it's to be inclusive so the rest of the family can participate in it. Paul shares what really matters. This is not a, you know, pray that I have a really good day prayer. Pray that God will keep me safe. I'm like, really? Put on a seatbelt or wear a helmet. I mean, you know, pressing into something deeper. Paul is just like, you need to pray that I go out strong and that I have a big enough spine to back it up. Paul's feisty at the end of Colossians. And he's saying, that's the kind of prayer I want you guys to pray for us. Pray that instead of getting quieter and gentler in my old age, pray that I get edgy. Can I be honest with some of you that are older here? You need a little edge back on, okay? Time to ramp up your game, get back on the field, play. There's no retiring in the family of Jesus, amen? No retiring going on around here. That's what Paul's saying, and I love the fact that he invites his prayer family to pray for him. And then this is Paul's prayerful plea at the end there. Verse 5. Talk about practical. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Okay, I'm going to get up on Paul's little soapbox here for a minute and talk to the followers of Jesus. So you're here and you're sticking out this Christianity thing. You can watch everybody else in the room squirm right now for the next little while, okay? Because Paul's going to talk to believing people and this is as straight as you can get, okay? Do you know what the biggest barrier is that keeps people from following Jesus? Goofy followers of Jesus, okay? Did you get that? Do you know what the biggest obstacle is that keeps people from wanting to follow Jesus? It's the weird followers of Jesus that they, can't, they cannot put them together. It doesn't line up. 
because they don't practice what they preach. I mean, we're our own worst enemy because of hypocrisy and inconsistency and apathy. And when I say apathy, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that dead, two-dimensional, black and white, checkbox Christianity that just seems so empty. I have unsaved friends who ask me this question. Why would I want to be a Christian? Have you seen some of them? It's like, you know, joy, happy, happy, all that. What? Paul's been spending an entire letter saying, we have inexpressible, glorious joy because Jesus, the God of our soul, is supreme in all things. I mean, that should do something for each one of us as a follower of Christ. And yet, when we portray this, man, life's just hard, bro. It's tough. Life's hard. You want me to call you a wambulance? I mean, seriously, right? So this is what Paul says. He goes, come on, people, here you go. He said, number one, be consistent. Practice what you preach. Live what you profess. Don't waffle. Don't squish. Consistently live out the message that you claim to believe and follow. I mean, I've learned this. You are never not an example. I know it's a double negative, but it's serious. Every one of us is always an example. And we don't get to to find that little sweet spot where we're not pushing people. We are either pushing people away from Jesus or towards Jesus 100% of the time. Every word that comes out of our mouth, every thought that we have is either pushing somebody away or drawing them towards. Paul says, be consistent, always. Then he says this, be proactive. Make the most of every opportunity. I mean, don't be the coward that, that, that lives their Christianity. You know, I'm just going uh, you know, to walk the walk until somebody asks me a question. Really? You may be waiting a really, really, really long time to have a conversation that could change somebody's life. I mean, just think about it. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been listening in coffee shops. How many table conversations have you heard that revolved around fear? How many of you have heard the the statement, what's the world coming to? So many ripe opportunities. This is what I have learned. In times of great fear... People who are afraid gravitate towards people who are not. Ah, I got one like half hard eight. In times of great fear, people who are afraid gravitate towards people who are not afraid. Well, let me tell you something. If you know Jesus, that means death is an upgrade for you, which means nothing, including death, should be able to scare you. And that means the peace of God that passes all understanding should guard your hearts in Christ Jesus, which means you never, ever have to be afraid, which should make you the most attractive person in any restaurant or coffee shop anywhere. That's what Paul's just saying, really? And let me ask you a question. Be very careful about how, I want to be careful how I say this. How much do you have to hate someone to hold in your hand the key to eternal life and refuse to offer it to them? Yeah, ouch. Let's keep moving. Seek the opportunities to share Jesus. But when you do, number three, it says, it says gracious, right? Be gracious. Let your conversation be always full of grace. You know how you do that? You know how you remain a gracious person? You never forget what God saved you from and what He saved you for. 
Because the second you forget that, you become a religious jerk. That's how it works. When you forget what God saved you from, you become a spiritual snob. And you're looking down your nose at all of those sinners, and you forget the fact that sinners are us. Amen? All of us. All of us. When you remember what God saved you for, it allows you to be so much more than just a know-it-all Bible Jeopardy champion with all of this head information and no heart transformation. You know, one of the best ways to be gracious is just to live authentically. You know how strange it is out there in the quote-unquote real world? When you do something wrong and you actually own it, when you go to that person that you work with and say, hey, you know what? I lied to you yesterday. I'm sorry. Or when you go and say, you know, you know what? I didn't do the job that I should have done on that project. I hope you'll give me another opportunity to make it right. When we say to people who don't know anything about Jesus, look, I messed up. Would you forgive me? That's gracious, authentic living. Be gracious. Number four, be truthful. Season the conversation with salt. Okay, I love that visual picture because this is what it means. Salt enhances the flavor of the conversation and it preserves the relationship. Always. Of course, conversations need to have both truth and grace. The problem with so many of us is that we get way over here on the truth side and we forget about grace altogether. We get way over here on the grace side and we never ever get down to the truth. Paul's saying you need both in every conversation. And whatever you do when you're being truthful, don't throw in a Jesus juke. You know what that is? That's when you're sitting at a lunch table and it's just like, hey, how many slices of bologna you got there? Uh, three. You know the, tr the Trinity has three persons? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you should get to know all three of them. What? You know, that's a really nice car you pulled up in. Do you have four tires? Yep, sure do. Got four tires. Speaking of four, do you know there's four spiritual laws? And the first one is God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life? I mean, what? <laughs> we get these gimmicky little things that we try to throw out at people. And the person on the other side of the conversation is like, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, those Christians. Be truthful. In fact, you know what I think Paul's really saying here? I think he's saying, could you all just do us a favor and be normal? That'd be awesome. Number five, he says, be honest. You know, if somebody asks you a spiritual question and you don't know the answer, this is an amazing response. I don't know, but I'll find out. That's a great question. I, I don't know. And number six is be thorough. If they, you say you don't know, be thorough and go and find an answer. Because if you have to go and find an answer, you know what you get as a gift? Another conversation. Hey, I was thinking about that question you asked me the other day. That was a great question. You know, I went and asked some people why the Bible says that or, or why Christians are supposed to do this and not do that. I mean, and I, I think I've got an answer for you, and I'd like to share it with you if that's okay. Gracious, truth-filled in every opportunity. You know, I get an opportunity to practice this stuff. Sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I don't. A while back, uh, if you remember, when we were talking through a different little section in another, in another series, we were talking about marriage. And at that particular time in our state, there was a big 
a, a great big question mark over what is marriage and what isn't marriage. And as a part of a, a particular message, I had the opportunity just to lay out what the Bible said as clearly as I could. I tried to do it graciously and with respect. I don't know if I succeeded, but I gave it a shot. After the message, uh, I was standing right down over here, and a young guy came walking down the aisle. I can always tell when people are approaching me with purpose, right? Because they walk differently, right? When they're just kind of sidling up to the front, that's one thing. But when they have something they want to make clear to me about something they may or may not agree with that I said, they walk with a very distinct kind of walk. He was walking that way, okay? He's coming down the aisle. He's coming right at me. And, and he's got a fairly high level of tension and passion, and I've never met him before. And he walks out, actually puts his hand out, and he goes, I'm gay. I said, I'm Grant. <laughs> and then we both started laughing. We both just started laughing. I'm standing there, we were holding, you know, shaking each other's hands, and we started laughing. He goes, that kind of sucked the energy out of that, didn't it? I'm like, you know. And then we talked. We just had a conversation. He shared some of his experiences. And I got to cry with him. And I shared the truth about Jesus. And he got to cry with me. And the beautiful thing about it is, I'm not going to tell you, well, it was this, it was that. You know, the conversation is still continuing. We're still talking. We actually know each other. We have names. We drink coffee. And is Jesus more and more a part of the conversation? I pray so. That's what Paul's talking about here. I mean, I, I'm in a coffee shop just a couple of weeks ago, and I'm, I'm meeting with a friend from church, and there's another guy sitting just like one table over, and we're having this conversation, kind of going back and forth. And as we get up to leave, I get ready, you know, I walk around, and I hear him say, Christians drive me nuts. So I looked and smiled and said, me too. And off we went, right? What? Hi, I'm Grant. Nice to meet you. Aren't you a... Yeah, I am. <laughs> Sorry, don't hold it against me right now. And he just, he eavesdropping the, the whole conversation. Maybe we were talking too loud. I don't know. Whatever. And guess what I find out? It's a former pastor's kid with a really deep wound because of what happened to his daddy when he was growing up. He didn't have a problem with God. He's got a problem with some of the followers of God. And I just got to encourage him. I challenged him. I said, dude, deal with Jesus face to face, not based on what you experience anywhere else. Go to Jesus with this. Simple conversations matter. And, you know, as we walk through this book, we've learned, you know, Scripture says we're a body. Could we agree on something? In this culture, the body of Christ is more known for its mouth than anything else. Isn't it? Right? Paul's saying if you add a brain and hands and heart, you get to have conversations that come back to Jesus over and over and over again. Okay, final thoughts from Colossians 4, 7 through 18. We're going to cover the last 11 verses in a matter of seconds. Don't blink or you're going to miss it, okay? Paul ends the entire verse by talking about a list of acquaintances, and that's what it looks like. It looks like just a list of acquaintances and some comments, but it's so much more than a list of friends. When I read Colossians 4, I loved the first part. I fell in love with the second part. Because if you know the story behind every person that Paul talks about, you just sit there and go, wow, 
Oh, that's cool. That, let me tell you. So Tychicus, he was a close, trusted friend who stayed at Paul's side, even though he wasn't in prison, but he became the courier. He was the FedEx man, okay? He was working for ancient UPS, and he was the guy that got to carry the letter to the Colossian believers. Onesimus is mentioned there. Onesimus is the runaway slave from the book in Philemon who runs away from his master, and Paul sends him back to do the right thing, and they're restored, not as slave and master, but as friends. Then there's Aristarchus. This is a guy that's in prison with him, feeling the same chains, walking through the same stuff. And then there's a guy named Mark. If you read the earlier part of the New Testament, Mark is a guy who went halfway on a missionary journey with Paul and then ditched Paul and left him alone. He abandoned him out there. And yet it says here that he was a dear friend. Somehow, Paul had room in his life for somebody who messed up really bad and they were able to get back in relationship with each other. And then Jesus' justice is mentioned here. We don't know anything about him. It's the only place that he's mentioned. I love the fact that Paul's got room for just some guy. That's what he is. He's just some guy. We have no idea where he comes from. Then Epaphras, he was the bringer and includer that was at the beginning of the chapter. Remember, he was bringing friends and inviting people into the new Colossian or into the church in Colossae. Then there's Luke who was a doctor who just took notes, wrote a large portion of our New Testament, and then a guy named Demas. Here's what's amazing to me about Demas. In another book, in the last chapter, it says Demas fell in love with the world and walked away from Jesus completely. Here's the point. That's Paul's team. You got a team? Because this thing called church is a team sport, just so you know. No individuals, no superstars, no perfect people allowed. Paul's got a team. Do you have room in your life for people who might betray you? Do you have room in your life for somebody who may have messed you up at some point in your life and then comes back and asks for forgiveness? Do you have room in your life for people who are as imperfect as you are. Let's make it real. Do you have enough friends to carry your casket? It takes six. Follow-up question from Colossians 4. Are they all just like you? Or are you being Jesus to them? I'll wrap up with Paul's final words. I, Paul... Write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Do you remember what was in the first ten words of the book of Colossians when we opened? Grace and peace to you. Jewish and Gentile, it doesn't matter. All under the supremacy of Christ. And Paul wraps up exactly the same way. May this beautiful gift of Jesus touch you deeply in the deepest part of your soul. Paul's wrapping up here talking about his friends. Friends are awesome to have. Friends are the people who will tell you the truth when nobody else wants to. Friends are the people who will walk by your side when you feel like everybody else has abandoned you. And Paul, just in those last 11 verses there, says, these are my guys. That's my small group right there. We do life together. We don't run alone. Because we know what happens when we run alone. We get picked off one at a time. So 
So Paul wraps up the book of Colossians. And his final thought is, may the grace of Jesus go with you. And I would say the same thing. As you head out into your mission field this weekend, may the grace of Jesus go with you. May his face shine upon you. May he give you peace. Because he alone is supreme over all things. Amen? Amen. I've been talking about friends, and so I'm actually going to have a friend come and join me right now. Uh, it's almost to the day, but one year ago, uh, Pastor Todd joined us here at Christ the King from CTK Coopville. So can we congratulate him on one year? That's awesome. And Todd and I are actually going to just have, we're going to have a little family conversation here. So if you're new, you're welcome to eavesdrop on our conversation. It's all good. We've got nothing to hide here. All about authenticity and transparency. And uh, Todd and I are going to do a little Q&A about some stuff that's going to go on here yep. in spring and the first part of the summer, just so you know what's coming. Yep. So, hi church. Good evening. Hi. Um, as we're heading into May, um, the elders of CTK have actually asked that our teaching pastor, that's him. That'd be me. Yeah, yeah he, that we've invited him to take a three-month break and take a sabbatical. So, so Grant, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, good thing. What is a sabbatical? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Basically, a sabbatical is a time of concentrated rest and reflection that will prepare you for the next big season. Um, and so, they have given me a choice between two things. They said, you could take a sabbatical or you could take a sabbatical. Um, and I appreciate them for loving me that way. And so, I'm going to take a time just to rest, renew my spirit. I'd like to introduce Grant the pastor to Grant the beloved of God and see if, if those two can hang out together, same place, same yeah. time. So how did this all come about? Um, well, basically, it, it, it's an interesting kind of a deal. So years ago, I began to notice a trend. Um, out of my Bible college class of guys who went into the ministry, of the 40 to 50 of us that were pastoral majors, there's only two of us left in the ministry. Everybody else quit or walked away. And I started noticing something, and so I wrote a sabbatical policy for all of our pastors that basically said, every seven years, you're going to take a break. You're going to rest. You're going to practice the principle of Sabbath. You're going to chill, and, and we're, and we're going to figure out, I mean, the church belongs to Jesus, right? right? doesn't belong to anybody else. So we're going to find out that when the Bible says, I will build my church, we'll find out that our names are not mentioned in that sentence. <laughs> sure. It's really for him. Um, so you're supposed to take one every seven years. Well, I've been here for 14, and I have not taken one. Um, so I wrote a policy for everybody else and then defied it <laughs> twice. And uh, I did take a little break about three summers ago. I took six weeks off, and basically I took all my vacation, compiled it, and added a couple of days on both ends, and they called me out on that, which was good. Um, so I've been in violation of my own policy, and finally they just said, look, we know you're healthy, but we want you to stay healthy. Yeah. So we need you to do this because we love you and care for you, and we want another great push coming yeah. down here. And so that's what yeah. we're going to do. That's how well, it came and, about. Well, and since I've been here, I know I, I know I know of a pastor who took a sabbatical right before, and this is a CTK pastor. Yep. And then one this last year, I know another CTK pastor has taken one this next year. Yep. 
why is the sabbatical thing so important for pastors? Well, I did some master's research. I just wrapped up my master's degree um, on top of everything we've been doing around here. As part of a project, I interviewed 25 senior pastors who lost their ministry either because of an emotional nervous breakdown or moral failure, those two things. I interviewed 25 of them, and I was looking for one common thread, and I found one. It was a very short paper when I was done writing it. I found one thing in common. Hmm. All 25 of them said, I never took a break. I thought it was all on my shoulders. I thought it all depended on my effort, and I wanted to be strong for everybody, and so I never took a break, and that's what, that was the only thing I found in all 25 of them. Um, it's biblical to rest. If you hang around here long enough, you'll hear me rip on you for Sabbath and rest. And now it's time for me to be consistent and practice what I preach. Yeah. So let me speak into the gap here a little bit. Um, some of the folks here have been around churches for a while. And so they've seen pastors like go on sabbatical. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and there's a lot of other things that may be behind all that. Yep. And so uh, Grant and I have just kind of developed a little thing that we want you to practice with us um, so that you'll know exactly what's going on. And it's called... It's not true. Okay, so would you just practice that with me right now? Say that out loud. It's, it's not, not true. true. Now, I'm going to make a few statements here, and all I want you to do when I'm done with the statement, I want you to say out loud. It's not true. Okay, here we go. Um, so, um, Grant, I, I heard that you had like, some big screw-up somewhere. It's not true. Actually, uh, doing fine. Uh, this is not a timeout, okay? Um, they haven't put me in a corner in the naughty chair. Um, have been doing great, and that has nothing to do. The only motivation is rest. Well, I heard, I heard, I just heard this, <laughs> that, that Grant and his wife are not doing very well. That is not true. My wife and I are doing awesome. Uh, we'll be celebrating 25 years here in not too long. And uh, Yeah. Well, you know what I heard in the comments the other day? I actually heard that Grant's looking at another church. That is not true. I love Christ the King. <laughs> You're stuck with me, not going anywhere, not looking around. None of that is true at all. Well, you know what I'm really concerned about is the fact that if Grant's not here, the whole church is going to fall apart. It's not true. <laughs> you better know me better than that one, right? It really, uh, the church belongs to Jesus. It's, Jesus is the center of everything. If this falls to one person's personality. And honestly, we're yeah. not much of a church. Shame on us, yeah. Shame on us. And so, church belongs to Jesus is all I have to say about that. Okay, that's good. Yeah. I think um, we all understand. And I think we've kind of coached everybody about what's going on. In fact, I'd like to ask um, elders and pastors um, and the church council, if you come up here right now, we'd like to actually spend a moment right now and uh, pray a prayer of blessing over you. So, and I just want to reinforce this, Grant will be gone for the next three months. And uh, we're excited about that. I'm excited I get to teach more, you know. It's yep. like he always hogs it, so this will be fun. <laughs> um, but uh, what a blessing it is. And so, um, guys, can I ask you to just come up here on the stage and let's just surround our brother. I'll get out of the way here with this and chair. As they're adjusting them, getting all up here. Um, while I'm gone, uh, for the next 90 days, here's what I'm going to tell you, which is pretty kind of cool. So, Todd will be doing about 60% of the teaching. Um, we're not going to give him the whole thing because I don't want to burn him out while I'm just taking a little bit of a break. Uh, we've got some amazing younger pastors who are going to get their shot, and I want you to be here to cheer for them. I do. Uh, Pastor Brian Steele, um, uh, B-Mac, Derek Archer, these guys, I want you to stand with them. 
this is our church, so we need to be faithful. Because this one thing I can promise you, Jesus will be at his church every single weekend. And I'm challenging you to be here too, okay? Be faithful in your attendance. Be faithful in your giving. Be faithful in your prayer. Do what Paul said at the end of Colossians chapter 4. Gary Thomas will be here preaching on marriage one weekend. One of the best marriage guys you're going to find anywhere in the country. Gordy McDonald, one of the uh, head presidents from uh, YWAM, Youth with a Mission, is going to be here one weekend talking to us about missions. It's going to be awesome. And August 3 and 4, I will be back. And Jesus help me when I've had all that coffee. That will be <laughs> awesome. Hey. Uh, guys, can we gather around and let's just uh, places, uh, this is going to be great for the introvert. Um, let's put our hands on him. And, uh, <laughs> and Byron, would you just uh, give a prayer blessing for us? Father, we thank you for Pastor Grant and his leadership at Christ the King. We are so thankful for the many years of service he has given. As he takes time of rest, Holy Spirit, surround him and Laurel with your love, giving them total peace of mind about being away from Christ the King. We ask for the many opportunities for the two of them to just be together, enjoying and growing closer in relationship. Remind Grant that you are the one who guards and protects your church, that you have already gone ahead and arranged each detail to work out your perfect plan for Christ the King during this time. Help him to be at rest, remembering that you have provided strong leadership and team for Christ the King. Lord, we ask that you prepare us, your body, in this season. Renew us with your love and grow our hearts with a deeper love for you and the lost in Whatcom County. Thank you for all you are doing through this time. We look forward to Pastor Grant's return in August. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. 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 Hey, listen, Grant, um, before we close up here, we had a little gift for you. We want to make sure we got to you. And so if you just open it... um, it's, it, we, we did it. We wrapped it TV way. This is a little gift certificate to a, a favorite restaurant and a, a night out for you and your wife to be able to go enjoy just some time away as you're resting. Enjoy. So, but uh, m- more than that, um, the staff got together and they they put together a little video because they really wanted to let you know how much they love you. So um, let's uh, if you'll just put your attention to the side screens. We have a little just thank you from the staff. Hey, Grant, just want to say thanks for all your many years of hard work here at CTK. I remember uh, Steve handing over the helm to you 10 years ago and how nervous you were. And I just want to tell you that I'm extremely proud of you, um, not only as a co-worker, but also as a member of CTK. Super excited, Grant, that you get this time for rest and renewal. I can't imagine CTK without you. You've been such a part of my life and a part of this church's life. And I know every time you go away for just a short amount of time, you're able to hear from the Lord. And I'm so looking forward to how you hear from God and how you come back uh, energized and renew with fresh vision and fresh words from God to share with us. Who's this video for? Grant. Which one's Grant? Grant's, um, he's the guy that, uh, He's the big, tall guy? How long have you worked here? Just two years. I'd really like to thank you for the opportunity to do ministry here. It has been a great 15 years, and 10 of them I have been working for you. Thank you for the opportunity. I am in my rhythm in life, and it's because you offered the door. Thanks. Hey, buddy. Um, 
you know, I've been thinking about wanting to share with you. One of the things that hit me was the fact that it's, I can't believe this, it's almost been a year now that uh, I came on staff here. And my objective was to come and actually take part of what you've been doing. What that means is you've been doing an awful lot. And I just wanted to say thank you. Um, after being here a year and doing my job and observing what you have to do as well, I realized for the last 10 years you have worked very hard, and I want everyone to know just um, really how amazing that's been and what an honor it is to watch you not only share what you've been doing but do so so gracefully. This next season for you is an opportunity for you just to step away and to be quiet and be still and know that you are just desperately loved by God. Grant, uh, my first experience with you was yelling at you in, uh, in the middle of a worship uh, service. You bashed the Seahawks. And then uh, we were emailing back and forth, and you said, uh, tell you what, Ryan, the next time the Seahawks win a playoff game, I'll wear a foam hat for the entire uh, service. And sure enough, Grant, two years later they did. They went to the Super Bowl, and I... Uh, got into your office and left a Seahawks foam hat and a printout definition of the word integrity on your desk. And uh, I, I, I'm, you're a man of your word, and I'm still uh, really excited to see that happen. We are never, ever, ever getting back together. We are never, ever, ever getting back together. You guys, you guys know that Grant's coming back, right? He is? What? Yeah. He's, he's only gone for a few weeks. You are just generous and kind in everything you do, and we love you. And friends are friends forever, if the Lord's the Lord of them. And a friend will not say... Fishbook, Corbin Horn here. We're going to miss you for the next 90 days, but I just appreciate you taking this time to take care of yourself, be with your family, and have a great summer. And uh, we just wish you the best. We're going to miss you around here. I don't know who I'm going to play uh, badminton against this summer and beat, but um, I'm sure I'll find somebody, and I'll be sure to let you know those results. But we'll miss you, and uh, take care of yourself these next 90 days. Uh, so, Grant, I want to thank you for, uh, for years of, of great shepherding. Hope you rest well. And if you could just hear, um, it's not just me, but uh, it's the voice of so many people. And, and one day it's going to be the voice of our Lord Jesus who says, uh, well done. And I will always love you. I remember wearing this shirt here, Faith Book. And uh, Todd says, is that a fish book shirt? And so I, and, uh, I was like, no, I'm not that big of a fan. I will miss you, and I uh, hope you uh, enjoy your time off and you uh, renew yourself in God. Um, I just want you to know that I really appreciate you, and um, I hope this time away is awesome. Grant, thanks. I love you. I love serving with you. Uh, I love being around you. I love your friendship. And I just so deeply admire you as a man of God and as a pastor. Do you ever know that you're my hero? You are. You're everything I wish I could be. Have a great three months, Grant. We love you.
<laughs> may, may you feel properly abused. Awesome. <laughs> awesome.